It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, October 31st, 2012, Reformation Day. I guess the hashtag Reformation Day was trending on Twitter today. Do we thank God for that, or do we just throw it at, like, you know, all the seeker-driven guys and say, look, we're relevant because we trended on Twitter. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. We live in days where the church in many sectors, not all of it, but in many sectors, is in complete shambles. And the reason why it's in shambles is because it's capitulated to the culture, it's watered down the message, the pastors are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're not preaching the Word, proclaiming Christ, calling sinners to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. As a result of it, they're teaching all kinds of strange things. I would point you to yesterday edition of Fighting for the Faith, where David Hughes uh, miserably lost the uh, sermon cage fight that we put him into with uh, Pastor Brent Kuhlman of that small, humble little church called uh, Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. And and why is it that that David Hughes lost so badly? Because he... (laughs) He and his church are in need of reformation, of getting back to preaching the gospel, proclaiming Christ and sound biblical doctrine. These guys are often theological loony land. And what they're teaching is fables. It's myths. It's not Christianity. It's something different. And one of the core things that needs to be grasped and you know, re-grasped or rediscovered uh, in large portions of the visible church is the gospel itself. That's the thing that was, that, that's the, the doctrine that sparked the entire Reformation as we know it in, in church history. Why is it that Luther took issue with the, with the whole indulgences thing going on in his neck of the woods, it, you know, almost 500 years ago? Well, it was because of his proper understanding of the gospel. He had had his epiphany his apostrophe his he had he had you know this 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 romans 3 aha moment and it it wrecked like literally the rest of his theology so we we are in need of the same type of reformation today because so much of you know american evangelicalism and large portions of the church that are supposed to be you know in, in the stream of those who have inherited the Reformation from those who've broken off from Rome, and for good reason, um, they're they're often in, this, in in their own form of looniness, the way Rome went into looniness, teaching false doctrine and mythology and stuff like that. So time to call them out, call them back, and to uh, get them back on track. Now, to help with that, uh, we're going to continue today with our series of lectures that we have launched into uh, from Derek Thomas, Dr. Derek Thomas, who is a, a, a visiting professor of systematic and historical theology at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, he recently delivered a series of lectures about getting the gospel right. Today's uh, installment is entitled Gospel Basics, a need. Gospel basics, a need. So he's going to start walking now through 
the basics of the gospel. If we're going to get the gospel right, we, you know, we can, you know, let's break it down. What are the, its basic pieces? And so we're going to talk about, or he's going to talk about, the need for the gospel. And so that's going to be today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Without any further ado, here is Dr. Derek Thomas. Now, this uh, coming week, uh, one of our uh, regular attenders here for some time, Gong Chao from China, uh, is leaving us this week. We have been immensely blessed by your presence with us uh, over these last couple of years, and especially your parents who have been with us uh, the last few weeks We bless God for the providence that uh, led you uh, to join with us here, and and we will surely miss you as you go back to your homeland of China, but uh, do stay in touch. Remember the internet and email, and it would be wonderful for us to hear uh, from you from time to time. Do uh, say a word to him uh, before you leave this evening. Now turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We are in the beginning of a little series on the gospel, a series that I've called uh, Getting the Gospel Right. And this evening I want us to look at some uh, of the basics of the gospel and particularly the need that the gospel addresses. And I want us to do that in this very familiar story, which is found in Matthew and Luke, but I want us to look at the Mark version of the story, Mark chapter 10, and beginning at verse 17, and in your pew Bible on page 846. This is the Word of God. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, that is, before Jesus, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter 
the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, this is a very familiar uh, story from the life of uh, Jesus, this rich man, rich young man who comes running up to Jesus. I've been a minister of the gospel for 34, five years, and... Um, This has never happened to me. I I honestly can't say a a single occasion when someone has come running up to me uh, wanting me to tell them the gospel, how to enter the kingdom of God. I I usually, like you, I'm sure, spend most of my time trying to weave into the story, the discussion, um, something about the gospel without shutting them down. told you before, my, my traveling uh, story when I'm on a, an airplane and before the headphones go on and uh, somebody asks, what do I do? And if I say I'm a minister, that usually shuts everything down. And if I say I teach systematic theology, they have no idea what that is. So I, I tell them from a statement uh, of William Perkins, roughly around 1600 or so, I teach the science of living blessedly forever uh, because that's how, he, that's how he defined theology, the science of living blessedly forever. And it makes me sound like somebody from California. <laughs> and, um, and it works almost, almost every time to just weave that, that entry point into the gospel. But here's, a, here's an incredible uh, story. A young man comes running up to Jesus. And I want to look at it from the point of view of the strategy that Jesus employs here. Jesus tells his disciples later um, that they will become fishers of men. He is the great evangelist. He teaches us. Uh, He teaches us evangelism. He teaches us how to proclaim the gospel. And and we want to watch him. We, uh, We want this evening to to come alongside him with, um, with a clipboard or maybe a, a microphone, uh, one of these little pocket gizmos, and, and, and listen to him, watch him, learn from him. What would you say if somebody came running up to you? Maybe it'll happen to you uh, tomorrow at the gym or at, at work or at the water cooler or something, and somebody comes running up to you breathless and say to you, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you'll probably collapse on the floor. 
if that happens. But, but uh, what are you going to say? And maybe you've got uh, a few minutes. You know, these narratives are condensed, I'm sure. Um, but this is, a, this is a relatively short conversation between Jesus and this rich young man. And I, want us, I want us to come up and, and, and listen in on this conversation and, and hear what it is that Jesus is doing here. Because at the end of the story, something Something unexpected occurs because this young man gets away. He is not one for the kingdom of God. And I I wonder, in terms of modern views of what the gospel is and what proclaiming the gospel is and what evangelism is, I, I wonder how many marks out of ten would you give Jesus here? As an evangelist, how, how good an evangelist is he? It's a, I know, I shouldn't ask that question. I understand that. But I'm asking that question in terms of, in terms of the measurement of contemporary evangelicalism, of, of those who actually believe that there is such a thing as a gospel. How many marks out of ten would you give to Jesus? Because this this rich young man gets away. He is not one for the kingdom of, uh, of God. I want us to see three things. I want us, first of all, to see where, where Jesus takes this rich young man. So the question, the first question that comes from this man is, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And, and, and maybe your antennae are already attuned to the fact that he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and, and maybe, maybe the hairs on the back of your head are already beginning to stand out, as it were, that this young man is already presupposing that the way into the kingdom of God is on the basis of something that we do, something that we perform. That entry into the kingdom of God is the result of something that we perform. And that perhaps is the reason why Jesus, first of all, takes him to Sinai. He, He takes him to the Ten Commandments. Now, I, I venture to guess that this would be a problem for some churches because they've forgotten what the Ten Commandments are. Isn't it astonishing that the first place that Jesus takes this rich young man is the Ten Commandments? He immediately says to them, uh, after the question, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, when you read this story, you, you, you might infer that Jesus is a, a little fussy about what this young man has asked. He calls him good teacher, good master. And, and Jesus goes off seemingly initially on, on a little tangent on, on why do you call me good? Because no one is good except God alone. 
what is goodness? What, how do you measure goodness? What is, what is the measurement of goodness? You see what Jesus is doing here. If the basis upon which this young man's entry into the kingdom of God is something that he does, it's the performance of, say, good works, then you need some measurement by which to judge what is the standard of goodness, what, what makes something good as opposed to bad. Because for most people, it's, um, you know, the, the, the motto of most people is so long, so long as it doesn't harm anyone else. That's, that's the commandment that most people live by. So long as it doesn't harm anybody else, then, then that's the measure of goodness. But that's not the standard of the measurement of goodness that Jesus is implying here. The standard of measurement that Jesus is implying is the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words of Sinai. He, he takes him directly to Sinai. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your uh, mother. And this young man says, um, all these I have kept from my youth. And you think to yourself, what kind of young man is this? What kind of person says, uh, I've never broken any of these commandments. I've always kept these commandments. And, and you, you, you immediately begin to think this this young man has, has no real understanding of the commandments. He sees the commandments only at best in terms of external prohibitions and doesn't see the internal application of the commandments the way Jesus began to expound the commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. That he who looks at someone in anger has committed Murder, or he who lusts a, a, a lustful thought in your mind has committed adultery. This, man, this man's perception of goodness, this man's perception of what is right and, and, and wrong is, is based entirely upon, upon external things. He, he has no understanding of the law. And he has no understanding of the law and he has no understanding of sin. Because sin is transgression of the law. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus perceives in this young man someone who has no real understanding of sin. He has no real understanding of his need. And in order, in order for him to understand the gospel, he must understand his need for the gospel. And in order for him to understand his need for the gospel, he needs to understand the law. He needs to see how far short of the law of God he falls. There's a question. I, 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 I should have asked Dr. Ferguson, I don't know whether it's still asked, but it was certainly asked historically at a time of... Um, uh, membership in the Church of Scotland. When you came into um, membership in the church, you were coming into communicant membership in the church, um, one of the elders or perhaps the minister would ask this question, have you been to Sinai? 
Now, the question isn't meant, have you, have you gone on a trip uh, to Sinai, to Mount Sinai? Have you, have you, have you been to the location, the, the zip code, the, 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 the physical location of Mount Sinai? What the question is asking is, have you been convicted by the law? Do you, do you understand sin? Have you been convicted of sin and righteousness and and judgment to come. This man, this young man, do you see, is not ready for the gospel. You know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why doesn't Jesus say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved? Acts 16, the Philippian uh, jailer. The Philippian jailer was at the point of, of, of taking his life. He was so under conviction. He was so under conviction of sin. He was, he was ready to hear those words. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But why should I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? What does Jesus Christ actually do for me? What kind of Jesus is he? And, and why is it necessary for him to die the death that he dies on the cross of Calvary? And the answer to that is, it is because of sin. Do, do you know what sin is? It's, it's not in current vocabulary, is it? I mean, search your Facebook pages and, and, and tweets and sin is not a part of today's vocabulary. Listen to, uh, listen to uh, folk who uh, are brought before the court of law, uh, famous people. And as they're brought before, I, I made a mistake. But it's never sin. I have sinned against God. I have, I have violated his commandments. I've broken his commandments. And so this young, this young man is, is first of all brought to Sinai. He's first of all brought to the law. Jesus preaches the law to him. There's a, there's a necessary work of the law in conviction. I want us to understand that. I want us to see that as we think about what is the gospel. And the gospel is fundamentally a message that delivers us from the consequences of our sin. Our great fundamental problem is our sin. The, the, the problem of the world is, is, not, uh, is not so much ecology. That's a, that's a consequence of sin. But the fundamental problem of the world is sin. It's transgression. It's a violation of the law of God. There's a passage in... The eighth chapter of uh, Romans and verse 15, not every commentator is agreed on what it means. And Paul is saying halfway through the eighth chapter of Romans, you have not received the spirit uh, of bondage uh, again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, uh, Father. 
One of the great blessings of the gospel is that it brings us into a relationship by the Holy Spirit in which we are regarded as adopted sons of God. We are brought into the family of God. But as Paul wants to say that, he first of all says the negative. You haven't received the spirit of bondage again to fear. And, and, and perhaps what Paul is saying there is that one of the things that the Holy Spirit does before he becomes the spirit of adoption is he becomes the spirit that leads us into conviction. He leads us into bondage. He, he makes us aware. He convicts. He makes us aware that, that we are sinners. He, he brings us to an end of ourselves. That's one of the, that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Richard Owen uh, Roberts uh, has a book. It's published by Crossway. It's the title that I'm thinking about. And it's called, it's called Repentance, the First Word of the Gospel. R- Repentance, the First Word of the Gospel. Do you see what Jesus is saying to this rich young man? You, 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 come, you come running up to me and you say, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal Life, but you need to understand the measurement of goodness. You, you need to understand the difference between right and wrong. You, you need to understand that you are a, a violator of the commandments. You need to understand that you, by yourself and by your efforts, cannot enter the kingdom of God. It is impossible for you to enter the kingdom of God because you're a sinner, because you've broken God's commandments. It's easier for a camel, Jesus says. Uh, Imagine that in your mind, a camel, one hump or two, doesn't matter. Imagine a camel trying to thread its way through the eye of of a needle. It's impossible. It's ridiculous. It can't be done. And, And neither can the natural man in and of himself, do anything to enter the kingdom of God. So that's the first thing. Jesus takes him to Sinai. The second thing that Jesus does here is that he takes him to the character of God. We've already seen that to some degree. Why do you call me good? There is none good but God alone. Verse 18. There is none good but God alone. If you're to understand the gospel, if you're going to come to appreciate what is the gospel, if you, if you need to come to an awareness of why you need the gospel, then you need to know the character of God. You need to know the one who by nature you have offended. And this God is, is good. He's perfectly good. He is goodness itself. He defines goodness. He is without sin. He cannot look upon sin. He's absolutely perfect. The ten words of Sinai are but uh, an exposition of his character. That's the way God is. This man, you see doesn't really understand 
the character of God. He doesn't really know what God is like. That's the great need of our society, isn't it? That's the great need of our society today. They, society needs to understand the character of God. People, people who believe in God, they say they believe in God. They believe in a, in a Santa Claus, a, a grandfatherly Santa Claus with a white beard who's a little eccentric, but he's essentially good, and he always forgives. In the end, he always forgives. That's the, that's the kind of God that the world believes in. A God who will, who will allow folk to come to him from, from any direction, many different paths to him. And Jesus is saying, this, this God, my, my heavenly Father, is absolutely perfect. He is so perfect, Scripture says, that he, he cannot look upon sin. He can't look upon it. He can't tolerate it in his presence. Sin cannot live in his presence. If, if you're, if you're going to inherit the kingdom of God, something has to be done about your sin, about the guilt of your sin. All right, we're going to pause the lecture right here, and we're going to pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins.
Who are you that you would disrupt our worship of our most holy Lord Jesus Christ? What? I I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear you. Time travel has a weird way of messing with my eardrums. I asked you who you were. And what is this about time travel? Uh, oh yeah, about that. What year is this? He doesn't seem too bright, does he? Silence. The year is 65 AD, and I ask you once again, who are you? The name's Haas, Peter Haas. I see. Would you kindly leave our presence so that we can continue with the Lord's Supper? Oh yeah, sure. I'll be out of your hair and... Wait, wait, wait a minute. Did you, did you say Lord's Supper? Told you he wasn't bright. Silence. Yes, I did say Lord's Supper. And this is, in fact, 65 A.D.? Again, yes. Well, that doesn't make any sense. What doesn't make any sense? Well, I guess it would make sense that I would stumble into a house of Pharisees. Excuse me? Well, yeah. It's common knowledge that communion was never meant to be part of a church service. I don't follow. Well, you see, it's stuff like communion and expository Bible teaching that gets in the way of people really experiencing Jesus. Uh, I'm sorry, but are you a Gnostic? No, I'm a pastor. That doesn't answer the question. But I'm a pastor. Well, Pastor Haas, it seems as though you have your facts wrong. During services, like the one before you, we as a congregation worship Jesus Christ and receive his gifts of forgiveness and mercy. What more is there to want? Oh, I get it. You're all a bunch of Judaizers. Uh, we're Gentiles. None of us here are Jewish. Well, um, uh, at least you guys don't use music in church. I don't know what devilry has bewitched your senses. We always sing hymns and psalms during the service. Hey, that's not right. Music isn't supposed to be part of the church until the 1700s. Not as sharp as a soggy pancake, that one is. I'm beginning to agree with you. Are we to believe that you're a pastor? Uh, duh! Well, you're easily one of two things. You're either one, a heretic hell-bent on destroying Christianity with your vile filth, or you're simply a buffoon who is having delusions of grandeur. You're just a hater! Oh, but am I? You claim to be a pastor in the service of Jesus Christ, and yet you seem to know nothing of our early church history or of the means of grace so blatantly set forth by Jesus and his disciples? Uh, well, uh... Where'd you get your seminarian degree from? <laughs> DeVry. <laughs> Silence! No, Cassius, I believe that school, as poor as it is in its educational content, would have at least taught him something. How do you ever expect to experience Jesus if you're just a bunch of closed-minded... Enough! We've had our fill of your empty words. You obviously know nothing about the way, and you're hereby expelled from our midst. But I'm published! Any lump of flesh with half a pulse can vomit meaningless words onto parchment. It's the substance of the words that makes the difference and are what's important. Your lack of knowledge is astounding. Now again, leave. Who do you think you are that you can boss me around? I'm a vision-casting leader in the church of the 21st century! This is the Christian Church of Berea. I think I can speak for all witnesses here that you are not worthy of the title of pastor. I wouldn't even hire you for a stable boy. Now get out of the church, you wolf in sheep's clothing.
Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I want to invite you to visit our website, worldviewweekend.com, and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years, and it describes in great detail how the left and the right are coming together both religiously and spiritually to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com. Again, it's Religious Trojan Horse. It's 500 pages, over 600 footnotes. Now, while you're at worldviewweekend.com. I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in Biblical Worldview Weekend resources, including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and Biblical Worldview Weekend keynote presentations. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net. Situationroom.net. You can also visit our website and find out about our free Biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com. Do you find it hard to shop for the geek in your life? Well, if so, we have got a fantastic new featured advertiser for you to visit. It's Think Geek. This is a well thought out and hilarious gift store. And what you need to do is visit our website first, piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek, and then click on the ad banner, and then a portion of your purchase will actually go to support Pirate Christian Radio. Trust me, these gifts are hilarious, from wacky office gifts to Star Trek paraphernalia to Star Wars stuff, anything that would really kind of light up the life of the geek in your life. Trust me, you'll love it. They're smart funny and the geek in your life will really enjoy them again piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek all right we're back Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church. Especially if your pastor, like, has, like, no working knowledge of the gospel, like, whatsoever. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we truly, truly do depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already partner with us, please do so. You can do that by visiting our website, Fighting for the Faith. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And thank you for your support. All right, here is the balance of our lecture today on the basics of the gospel, talking about our need for the gospel. Here is Dr. Derek Thomas. Do you remember when Jesus was um, resting at the well in Samaria and uh, the the woman uh, who had had five husbands and she... She enters into a conversation with uh, with Jesus, and you remember in the midst of that uh, conversation, um, there's that point in the narrative where Jesus says, "God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth." 
And, and some, some commentators seem to think that, that she, has, uh, she has deviated the conversation uh, away from the piercing gaze of Jesus to talk about uh, which, which mountain should we worship on. Uh, because the Samaritans uh, had, a, had a different history and tradition to the Jews. And, and as, though, as, though that, as though that was a kind of deviation. And, and it may well have been a deviation in her mind, but it wasn't a deviation in the mind of Jesus. Because if this woman is going to come to a knowledge of the truth, she must first of all understand the nature and character of God. Because what is mission? Mission is to bring sinners into a place where they bow and worship God. That's what mission is. That's what the gospel does. It, it brings us into a position whereby we can worship God. So, so Jesus is telling this woman, God is a spirit and, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He, he's, he's doing the same thing here. He's telling this, um, this rich young man, let me tell you about God. Let, let me tell you of what he's like. And when you find yourselves in a, in a position where in the providence of God an opportunity has arisen to speak about the gospel, you, you must talk about God and you must talk about who he is and what he is like. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Because what, what this young man needs to be, needs, what, what needs to happen to this young man is that he needs to be brought to the point where David was brought in Psalm 51 against, against you. This, uh, this sin that he had committed against you, you only have I sinned. That the, that the focus of his thought, the focus of his attention, was that he had sinned against Almighty God. So Jesus brings this young man to Sinai so that he might, so that he might have some understanding of his need, that he is a sinner. Because self-evidently he has no understanding of it. And this young man is brought face to face with the nature and the character of God. And, and, then, and then, in a wonderful way, Jesus then says to him, follow me, in verse 21. One thing that you lack, go and sell all that you have and come, follow me. And, and, and the text, and, and I want you to notice the text says, in verse 21, he looked at him and he loved him. This, uh, this sinner, this self-righteous sinner, I'm not sure that you would like this rich young man. There's something, there's something pharisaical about this young man. There's something even arrogant about this young man. But Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he says to him, because this was the point at which he in particular needed to hear what the demands of repentance would actually be. If, if he truly believed that he had kept all the commandments of God, Jesus takes him to the 10th commandment. 
thou shalt not covet. And do you remember how Paul in the New Testament says that he had not known sin except the Lord said, thou shalt not covet. That there was, there was something extraordinarily focusing about the Tenth Commandment. Go and sell all that you have. And here's the test. Here's the test. Do, do, you, love, do you love the kingdom or do you love the king of the kingdom more than you love the things that you have? Do you love Jesus more than you love your possessions? Go and sell all that you have and follow me. It was a specific commandment to this young man. It was meant, I think, to bring him to the point at which he would see he loved his, his goods. He loved his money. He loved his position. He loved his privileges. He, he loved his, his, his 401k. He, he loved his, his bank balance. He, he loved his toys more than the thought of being a child of the king. I was in... Uh, I was in Northern Ireland uh, for 20 years, and uh, John, as, as you Americans say, John Blanchard was, uh, was preaching. He's a very uh, gifted and much-used uh, evangelist uh, with an extraordinary gift, uh, especially in the area of apologetics and uh, uh, of uh, breaking down the gospel in a contemporary post-modern uh, world and addressing all uh, of the issues that the secular world uh, throws uh, at the gospel. And uh, he's, uh, he was in a church in um, a little town called Balamani uh, in Northern Ireland. And uh, he was introduced, and this, this I think could only happen in Northern Ireland. He's introduced afterwards to a man and uh, the minister says, in front of this man to... John Blanchard, uh, this man, this man uh, is religious, but he's not a Christian. And, uh, uh, and he objected, the, the man objected to this uh, introduction, that he was a, a religious man, but not a Christian. And he, he, he protests and he says, uh, I, 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 I know the gospel. I've, I've, I've heard the gospel since I was a little boy. And, and, just, and just one small step. And, and I'll be a Christian. And John Blanchard said to him, uh, you're not telling the truth. And he protests and John Blanchard says, but you're not telling the truth. You need something more than one small step. What you need is a big miracle. What you need is the sovereign intervention and power of God. Because with man it is impossible. This, this young man has to be brought, you see, to a point where he'll say, nothing in my hands I bring. Nothing. N not my background, not my religious knowledge, not my covenant membership in uh, the church, not, not my upbringing, not my social status. Nothing. 
Nothing, not my education, not my privileges, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Unless a man is born, actually literally, from above. That's what Nicodemus, Dr. Ross was reminding us, that here was a man who who didn't understand the book of Ezekiel. He didn't understand uh, chapters uh, 36 and 37 about the necessity for regeneration, for God to change the heart. He was a Bible teacher. Here was the Billy Graham of uh, of Jesus' time. He was a Bible teacher, well-known Bible teacher throughout the land, but he didn't understand the book of Ezekiel, didn't understand the need for regeneration. And Jesus says to him, unless a man is born from above, he cannot enter, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless a work of regeneration where the old heart is taken away and a, and a new heart is given, a heart of faith. It's what, uh, it's what Jonah learnt in the belly of the fish, the whale. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor so that you'll have nothing. All the things that you, that you trust in and hope in and give your energy to, get rid of them all and come to Jesus only. That's what, uh, that's what perhaps some of you in here need to do. To come into the kingdom of God, you... Uh, You need to go and tell your friends, I can't do this anymore. I can't go to this anymore. I can't be a part of that anymore. Because I I belong to Jesus. You've got to sell everything. You've got to get rid of everything. You you some of you have to tell your parents these things these things are not important. What's important is Jesus. What's important is the kingdom of God. Some of you have to say to your girlfriend, boyfriend, I can't give myself to you because Jesus is more important. Jesus is more important. Some of you might have to say in your world of uh, business, can't do this. Because it violates the ethical commandments of God. Because Jesus is more important. I want you to take a very special look at verse 21. Jesus loved this young man. He loved him. He wasn't converted. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a believer. He wasn't in the kingdom of God. But Jesus loved him. Jesus longed for this young man to come into the kingdom of God. But this young man loved his riches more than he loved the desire to be in the kingdom of God. And the staggering thing, it's it's breathtaking. I've read this story hundreds of times. And it still takes my breath away. Jesus let him go. He let him go. 
You know, any evangelist, I think today, an evangelist worth his salt would have got this young man into the kingdom in a heartbeat. A few choice questions. And this young man would have been in the kingdom of God and another statistic for the church. But Jesus saw that this young man had no understanding of sin. And he probably had no real understanding of the nature and character of God. And he loved his possessions more than he loved the idea of belonging to the kingdom of God. And Jesus let him go. Jesus let him go. Why didn't he call him back? Why didn't he, why didn't he introduce some kind of quick and easy formula for this young man to enter the kingdom of God? You know, the gospel, this extraordinary good news of the gospel, that there is a way for sinners. There's a way for folk like this rich young man to come into the kingdom of God. And that is to say, nothing in my hands I bring and simply to thy cross I cling. To put Jesus first, to come to an end of ourselves and to say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. If you leave as this young man left, the way you came in, what then? What then? You know, the only, the only hopeful thing about this passage is that this young man went away sad. He went away sad. And maybe, we don't know, the scriptures don't tell us whether that sadness was a, was a sadness of the world or whether that sadness was the beginning of a sadness that would eventually lead to genuine biblical repentance. The gospel addresses a need. But this young man, he didn't get it. Or if he did eventually get it, he said, no. He said no to the gospel. And yes to the allurement of the things of this world. Uh, there's many a young man and young woman who've put profession and advancement and relationship before Jesus. At the end of the day, my friends, the most important thing at the end of the day 
is to hear what Jesus is actually saying here. Without true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are outside. You are outside the kingdom of God. So, so hear him saying to this young man, hear him saying, come, come and follow me. You will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for the scriptures and for the gospel and for these extraordinary truths that are laid out before us here in this narrative of the rich young man coming up to Jesus. We, we pray tonight for our own understanding of the gospel, but we pray too for one another and that we might not make the error that this young man made in putting his riches and putting himself before the demands of the kingdom of God. So bless us now, we pray, and help us, help us each one to, to live out and out for the gospel, to, to live all for Jesus and for him alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you. In the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>